This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, Tom. So, why Davy Crockett? Are we not doing our intro first? Go. <laughs> Go to Davy Crockett, man. All right, what well, were you doing when you were three years old? Davy Crockett was, was wrestling bears when he was three years old. What was were he, you well, doing? Well, you asked, you know, why Davy Crockett? I think the answer is like, why not? Like, he's an individual that everyone has at least heard or heard about Davy Crockett. They've heard something about him, whether it was true or not. And that's some of the things that we'll explore here. What was true about Davy Crockett, why he is this American folk hero, folk legend. And, and we'll talk about this. People get really upset when you talk about Davy Crockett, too. If you say something that kind of is against the narrative of Davy Crockett, you have to be careful because he, there are people that really take his, take his legendary stories and his legendary feats as fact. And if you try to debunk some of that stuff, it's going to be challenged, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, welcome to the podcast, everyone. Uh, this is Peter okay. Zablocki Tom and Thomas Oreska, right? Um, yeah. And we're going to talk about Davy Crockett. Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. Yes. I didn't say indeed. You happy? I really held it back. I already said you know, so I'm pretty oh, sure. This is, ter- this is terrible. All right. It's, long, it's, been a long, it's been a long week. It's been a long week. Ba- bouncing pickles. All right. Bouncing pickles. Bouncing pickles. So Davy Crockett. What? Um, yeah, I've actually been asked as well, you know, why, why are you talking about Davy Crockett? And I think that Davy Crockett is just a, a really, I mean, it's Americana. You know, it's yeah. a really cool person. I figured we talked about George Washington. Let's talk about, you know, Davy Crockett. Plus, for all young people out there, um, Disney kind of made Davy Crockett very popular in the 1950s. And if you have Disney Plus these days... He's on there, yeah. Um, and, we'll, and we'll get to that because I think that really sparked uh, a lot of the folklore legend of Davy Crockett, like the resurgence of it in, Amer- in, in yeah, Americana say, yeah. was definitely the Walt Disney show. And, and we'll talk about that. We'll get to there. Yep. So, Davy Crockett, let's kind of um, get going. Similar to what we did with George Washington, which seems so long ago now. We're going to start talking about just background on Davy Crockett, and then we're going to get into some of the interesting facts of Davy Crockett and why he's so legendary. And maybe perhaps he's kind of become a little more forgotten in the world of Marvel superheroes these days, but this guy was the American superhero. He was was Captain America of the 1820s and 30s. That's what this guy was. Exactly. Boom. All right. So Davy Crockett. Interesting thing. I think the first fact we need to start with, Davy Crockett was born essentially in a state that no longer exists. Yes. Go ahead. Right? Yes. So so he was born in like Eastern Tennessee, border of Eastern Tennessee, as well as North Carolina, in an area that after the American Revolutionary War, North Carolina owned a huge debt to Congress, and they didn't really know how to pay off this debt. So they took this area near the you know Appalachian Mountains, and they said, you know what, we'll give this chunk of land back to Congress and give it to the United States and they could take care of it. And that is our payment for our debt. Now, this area was never really fully taken over by Congress, though. So it, became it was, like called, it was this, called Franklin, I believe. Right? It was called Franklin. Yeah. So this, this for like four years, this area became its own state of Franklin. And they try to uh, but they petitioned to become a state of yeah. the United States and, and they did not have enough votes. So it never became a state. But that's where Davy Crockett was born. And it, eventually it became North, sorry. it got reclaimed by North Carolina and exactly. then it eventually becomes 
the newly formed state of Tennessee, right? Like yep. 1796, I believe. Yep. So he is the son of Tennessee. However, he was born in Franklin, a state that no longer will exist, per se, right? Even though it never really existed, I guess. Well, they were their own independent territory. They did for a little bit, right? For a couple little bit. years. A, became... a few years, but that, that happened a lot. That's something that happened a lot during that time span. We just had these areas where the settlers were just coming in and whether they were in, you know, the Indians lived there or not, that's a whole other story that we'll, we'll get to. That's another podcast, right? But yeah. they, <laughs> and they just claim land for their own. That's also, we're going to look at that too, with everything that happened with the Texas revolution that kind of creates this legend of Davy Crockett. Also that idea of, well, we're just going to, we're not going to become a state. Well, we're not going to be, we don't want to be part of this country. So let's just make our own country. That actually was happening quite a bit during this time. It's, it's com- yep. not commonplace, but it, it did happen more often. Yep. So, you know, growing up, Davy Crockett had a very interesting childhood, mainly because his father seemed to have terrible luck. And, you know, uh, he would lose a lot of money. He was always in debt to the extent that when Davy was 12 years old, his father actually indentured him uh, as a servant to a guy to pay off his debt, which I think is crazy. So, you know, as opposed to paying off the debt, he basically said, hey, you're 12, Davy, you're going to pay off my debt. You're going to become this guy's servant. And that's that was the beginning of Davy's servitude. He did this like three times for three different people um, that his father owed money to. So on three different occasions, when this kid was, you know, like today would be a seventh, eighth grader, he basically sold his son into slavery, more or less, to pay off his debts. And I, um, he did go to a little bit of school. I'm sure you saw that. Yeah. Um, very brief formal education. Um, he talks about that, I believe, in his autobiography, which was very popular when it came to, when it. Um, came out and um, he went for a, a few days but what happened was he got into a fight with a much larger with a, with a boy another you know, someone an older yep. kid and then um crockett like waited for the kid one day when they were leaving school like ambushed him and just hurt him really beat him up really bad and he wanted he knew he was gonna get in trouble for it so he stopped going to school for that he only went to school a couple days i think four or five days that was it got into this fight i was worried about the, um, how much trouble he was going to get in for getting this fight from the punishment. So he just didn't go back to school and didn't tell his father. So then his dad um, realized it and was going to give him uh, Crocker in a book, a whipping. There was something very also commonplace yeah. back then. So he just runs into the woods, Crockett, and winds up living in the woods and living with cattle ranchers for another like two and a half years. So he, he just yeah. ran away at 13. Just lived in the woods. Yeah. And again, this goes into that legend of him, how, you know, he was this young man living in the woods. And he says by the time he came back to his uh, parents' house, they didn't even recognize him at first because he'd grown so yep. much two and a half years. Yep. Imagine Absolutely. not just running into the woods at 13 and just not coming back because you were afraid yeah, of getting beaten by your dad. But even during this time uh, when he was on this cattle drive and around, you know, this time when he was kind of living in the wilderness, uh, he already was starting to get a reputation as a little boy, you know, as a sharpshooter. They yeah. said that. A young David, um, this was a quote by somebody that young David could shoot his rifle 40 yards and hit an edge so accurately that he could split his bullet in two. Obviously, I'm not sure if that, you know, that's really a truth. But however, he was already gaining this popularity of being such an amazing sharpshooter and hunter. You know, this this kid's basically an eighth grader. So um, when he comes back home, <laughs> this is funny. It's like you said, he comes back home and he's, you know, he's bigger, more muscular, he's taller, and people don't really recognize him. And then his father's like, oh, it is you, David, you know? Um, well, I owe this other guy a debt. Abraham Wilson, I owe him a debt. So 
boom. <laughs> he basically sells him off again. Sells him off again, right? Nice to see um, you, son. Right. And then so he sells him off to pay off the debt. Davy pays off the debt and then he comes back home again. And then the father sells him off again to pay off another debt to John um, Kennedy, Kennedy, something like that. And, you know, it wasn't until after that debt where Davy's finally like, all right, you could kind of live your life, Davy. But while he's indebted to this guy, um, he's a teenager now, older teenager. He falls in love with the guy's niece. But then the niece is actually, you know, going to get married to the guy's son. So that doesn't work out so well for Davy Crockett because he not only loses his job because he's trying to, you know, marry this guy's son's future wife or at least court her. Can't be doing and, that. Um, yeah, he didn't really have much luck with love. That's for sure. So that doesn't pan out because he fell in love with a woman that was engaged. And then he at this wedding, ironically, meets Margaret Elder and he kind of persuades her to marry him. And, you know, she, he falls in love with her. And this is kind of weird. They like draw up a contract that they're going to get married on this and this date. And then he's all excited, but then she breaks the contract and marries some other dude. So then that doesn't really pan out for him either. Eventually he does marry though. He actually he has two wives. One two dies. I believe from yeah. uh, malaria. Yep. And um, total of six kids, three kids with their first wife. Um, then the, the woman that he marries afterwards already had two kids and then they had three more kids. So it was like a, just kind of living a Brady Bunch life over there for a little bit. Yeah, because he was always going around. Like that's what people did back that time, uh, during that time too. Especially like the males, be home for a while, then he'd be gone for months, come back home. Like, that was just yeah. something that was more commonplace. Especially when later on when he becomes a uh, member of the of the House representative. Yeah, yeah. Which we'll so, get yeah, to. So we'll get to. So let's um, let's talk a little bit about his military career because he did have one, and that's kind of where he crossed his paths with. Another very famous or infamous, whichever way you want to see it, frontiersman, Andrew Jackson. Andrew Jackson, so, yeah. So, Tom, what do you what do you got? Well, he was um, what I found there. He was twenty seven years old when he he's in a bunch of other Tennesseans. They all joined the state militia to fight mm-hmm. against a faction of uh, Creek Indians known as the Red Sticks. And um, Crockett spends most of these Creek Wars working as a scout. He's also a hunter because, like you said before, Pete, he's a really good shot. That's something that you're going to hear a lot as we're talking about is he was an excellent marksman. And um, he did. He was there when um, Andrew Jackson um, came in as a, a commander of the Tennessee uh, militia, and they slaughtered 200 Red Creeks, uh, Red Sticks at the uh, Creek Village. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was there during that. And I remember reading um, some journals that people talked. This was a huge massacre. Like the women and children were murdered too. Mm-hmm. And had they killed them all, um, there's debates whether or not Crockett was actually there. He was definitely in the area, whether he was actually with Jackson's men when they did this, that's debated. I don't think we're ever mm-hmm. going to find that out, but he was definitely part of that militia that was in that area. So he was aware of what happened, maybe at, at very least after the fact. And what they did was they, um, after they killed all the men, the women and children were hiding in their huts and the soldiers set fire to all the huts and they set them all on fire. And then what happened was it, it killed all these people. They basically like roasted alive. And then they went and what they noticed is a lot of the huts, they had the t- uh, potatoes buried underneath them for like the food. And the potatoes actually cooked from the heat of the fire and actually in the um, the body fat of the people when they burned wow. to death. And soldiers ate the potatoes. That was uh. like the big thing because they were so like just like crazy, crazy what they just did and hungry because, you know, it's a, it was a war. So they actually ate the potatoes. and. Um, 
a lot of them were talking about that. And it was just a horrible thing that happened, but it was just showing kind of one, what Jackson, how intense Jackson could be, uh, but also that what, you know, Crockett was experiencing at a young man, seeing this, hearing about this, possibly even being involved in it in, in some way. Yep. And you didn't see just, too much fighting. You didn't see too much fighting, actually. Yeah, there's uh that's you're right. That's a very much disputed. Um, some people believe that Crockett should be seen as a villain for what he did during that particular war. When he enlisted, um, he enlisted as a scout for a ninety initially for a ninety days term. So he and he was utilized often as a scout. Even if you watch, you know, not that you should believe Disney because you know Disney kind of has their own version of. Well, he was a frontiersman. He knew what he was doing. Yep. So that's I mean, that's that's not going to be disputed. The guy yeah. knew how to live in a while. If he was alive today, he'd be run rings around that Bear Grylls and all those survival shows. Yeah. You know, Davy yeah. Crockett was the man. He as far as that goes, that's not yeah. yeah, that's not something that's disputed. And even if you look at the various um, firsthand accounts from the time, they said that most of the accounts highlight his skills in hunting and foraging. You know, like that was his talent. Turning up food, navigating the wilderness, you know, that's kind of what won him a lot of friends in the militia. And that's also what kind of even Disney highlights in their movies. Like he was the scout. But just out of some context, I mean, the Creek War is kind of like a sub-conflict of the War of 1812. Yes. Um, and if you are from Tennessee, the, the Creek War was the War of 1812. I mean, that's essentially, with the exception of like the New Orleans, the battles that were fought against the Creek, you know, that was majority of the fighting for the Tennessee troops, right? Most of the Tennessee deaths, casualties occurred during the Creek War. And it's very important because this is where Davy Crockett makes a name for himself locally in Tennessee, which is what kind of sets him on this path or in this ladder to more national stardom. He becomes known for this exploits in the Creek War. And so does, um, concurrent with this, so does Andrew Jackson, you know, is actually the Creek War that establishes Andrew Jackson as a household name. Like his victories prompts officials in Washington to promote him to major general in the U.S. Army, which in turn sends him to New Orleans. New Orleans, which makes him a national hero. Which makes him a national hero yeah. and you know propels him to the presidency. Meanwhile, while not to that level because he's not a general, but Davy Crockett becomes a known soldier and a known person in that area of Tennessee, which is where he begins his political career. Yeah, his his this name becomes synonymous, yeah, and it's like a yeah. local legend. So a lot of these other frontiersmen, all the other soldiers, they come back and they start talking about this Davy Crockett, and then that's just that's when like it's a game of telephone. That's when that legend really starts to grow. So then when yeah. people see that name on ballots in the eight, in eight, in the eighteen twenties, they're like, yeah, I'm voting yeah. for Davy Crockett. Yep. Yep. So um, let's kind of talk a little bit about, I guess, his political career, right? I mean, because that's the thing. This guy's. Uh, frontiersman, he's a soldier, but then he starts to run as a, for, you know, yeah. as a politician. And that's also where his legend starts to grow. And primarily, I would say, I don't know, maybe not primarily, but he has a lot to do with that. I mean, he's like a master of PR, you know, like he really sells himself to be what he is. And at first, when people used this whole idea of, well, you're just like a hick from the woods, at first, he would get upset. But then he kind of embraced it. It's like, yeah, you know, I am a frontiersman. And then he's sort of fueling that, you know, and that kind of added to it. Yeah, he maintained that wild, that wild image of him. And he, yeah. used, he used that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So the first thing he really starts is just the local, um, you know, essentially within like two years, right? By like late 18 teens, you know, like 1817, 
um, Justice of Peace for a local township um, near his state in Tennessee, then Commissioner of Lawrenceburg, um, where he resided with his wife, then the Lieutenant Colonel, the 57th Regiment of Tennessee Militia. Like in two years, he just starts, you know, as a politician, growing, 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 growing. But it seemed like it never was enough for him. And that's when he applies for, you know, something a little bit more intense, the U.S. House of Representatives, right? First, he's in a Tennessee General Assembly. Yeah, it's 1821. That's 1821. Um, he also kind of establishes himself as like a Robin Hood as a politician. You know, he definitely favored legislation to ease the tax burden on the poor. Pretty much spent his entire legislative career just fighting for the rights of impoverished settlers uh, as well as, you know, anyone that was kind of he was he was he was supposed to be the man man of the people. That's what we yep. call him today, the man of the people. Absolutely. And he gets elected in 1827 to Congress, and um, he's actually one of the pol- the politics. He at that time uh, Jackson's president, and he's against Jackson. He does not support Jackson, um, particularly in like the Indian Removal Act mm-hmm. and a lot of the other policies. And then actually, winds up really hurting Jackson's political career going forward. Doing a lot of those you mean uh, Davies? I mean, yeah, I'm sorry, uh, Davy Crockett's yeah. political career. Yeah, that that hurts his. Um, that hurts his political career because he's going against Jackson, and that's one reason why he um, lost the eighteen thirty one election. And when yeah. he actually was reelected then in eighteen thirty three, uh, but then lost again eighteen thirty five, and that's when he gets mad. Yeah. Um, and there's a famous quote from um, Davy Crockett here uh, in his memoirs that says, um, "I told the people of my district I would serve them faithfully as I have done, but if not, they might go to hell, and I would go to Texas, and that's what he uh-huh. does." He does. Yeah. Um, You know, even before that, like you said, he votes against Jackson's Indian Removal Act. He speaks against Jack. He speaks up against Jackson. He's one of like the loud voices against some of the um, more intense policies that Jackson's doing. And this is extremely unpopular in his state. I mean, Andrew Jackson, who's a president from Tennessee. I mean, this is like he's like the son of Tennessee. So when you know, Davey starts talking against him publicly. You, like you said, it leads to him losing the reelection bid, you know, a few times back and forth. But during this whole time, kind of Davey gets himself kind of like a hobby while he is a politician. And also this is where his legend starts to grow. Um, most of his time essentially was just big game hunting. You know, mm-hmm. um, they said that he kind of found his fame. He was this politician. Um in a house of representatives, but in his free time, he kind of just, you know, hunted bears. Uh, it is said that between 1825 and 1826, he killed about 105 bears. Uh, he, you know, used them to sell pelts, uh, meat, oil for profit. Um, I mean, this guy was just a hunter. Yeah. And then it comes out that one time with those whole hunting, that hunting those bears that um, it was often said that he once killed a bear in the dark, basically by stabbing with a, a, knife, with a right? butcher yeah. knife. And that's, yeah. Because what happened also in the 1830s, they, they became they um, individual wrote a play about David Crockett, and a lot of mm-hmm. like the legends, a lot of the folklore that comes to David Crockett comes out of that play. The whole idea of him wearing the raccoon skin hat that comes from that play. Now Crockett did wear the hat later on, um, so at certain points, but he only started wearing the hat because they, the character in the play wore the hat. So again, he's playing up to that image. He's showing that image of Davy Crockett. He wanted to be the image that people saw in their mind's eye of Davy Crockett. He wanted yeah. them to be that when they saw him, but he didn't actually usually walk around wearing that typically. Yep. 
Yeah, the play was called The Lion of the West, and it was, yeah. it was staged in New York City. And it didn't, it wasn't Davy Crockett was not the title of the, I mean, the name of the main character. However, no. the entire play, everyone knew it was based on Davy Crockett. Yeah. The name of the, the Frontiersman guy. was Nimrod Wildfire. Wildfire, yeah. Which actually sounds, that's a pretty cool name, actually. It sounds that's like a wrestler. Of, like a yeah, WWE guy. Really cool. Nimrod Wildfire. If I have a third kid, I'm going to name him that. <laughs> Nimrod yeah. Wildfire. Yeah, your wife's going to love that. Yeah, time. she'll go for it. Probably not. Probably not. Probably not. No, but um, yeah. So, right. But gonna, the whole play. On our next T-shirt. I'm sorry, P. I'm stuck on that name. We're, we're going to uh, put that on our next T-shirt. Nimrod in, Wildfire. Indeed. Indeed. It, it, it's not. It can't be copyrighted. Bouncing pickles. Um. However, this is kind. Of, you're right. This is what really kind of propels him forward because everyone knows that here is this guy in the U.S. House of Representatives. He is like the common man representative yet he's against jackson he becomes a whig essentially um and now there's this play that's coming out that kind of highlights his exploits as a hunter like everyone knows that this is him that this plays about and he doesn't downplay it i mean crockett basically casts himself as a simple but very colorful countryman you know he develops like an off-the-cuff public speaking style very like homespun and defiant and everyone, all his constituents really loved it. Like he was this smart countryman that was as good with a rifle as he was with his words. After this play comes out, he decides that, you know, he's going to kind of use this and add to this. And that's when he comes out with his autobiography. And in his autobiography, he kind of really builds himself up. And he talks about, you know, his exploits as a hunter, as a tracker, uh, as a politician, as a, you know, woodsman. And the idea here is that he thinks he's going to use this book to have this like national scale book tour, which everyone now historians at least think this was him prepping, you know, creating like a, a stage for a run for presidency. Possibly, yeah. You know, as a Whig. Uh, except during this time while this is happening, um, while he's planning, you know, kind of just, you know, this run of become making a more of a national, uh, make himself more of a national figure. That's when he r- loses re-election again for his house. You know, he didn't expect that to happen. That yeah, was, that was kind of he did up. not expect that. That was like a rug swept from under him. And he's like, oh, that's when but even upset. at this time. Yeah, but even at this time, I mean, there's comic books being created at this time, you know, little short stories about him. There's a play created about him. There's books written about him. Um, there, and, just, and, and it's not, yeah. not either, Pete. It's just word of mouth, too. Yeah. People know, especially in that area. And it's, it's far east. The people in the, like New York, they know who Davy Crockett is. You say that name in this time span, in the 1820s, 1830s, everybody, they are aware of Davy Crockett. Yeah. And, you know, and this is during when he's still alive. He's literally yeah. a walking yeah. legend. He's a, he's a living legend. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, if people laugh that, you know, if this person becomes president, I'm leaving, I'm going to Canada. Or if this person, yeah. you know, that's still a thing. But he, Davy Crockett actually literally did that. I mean, he said, as you mentioned, yeah. if my people don't want me. And he also said, if Martin Van Buren yeah. succeeds Andrew Jackson, and continues with the policy of Indian removal. He goes, I'm out of here. I'm moving, I'm moving out of this country. He said, I'm and moving to Texas. He does, yeah, because yeah. Texas at the time is not yet part of the United States. Yeah, it's a Mexican territory called Tejas. And the Texans, the groundwork for the Texas Revolution is there. And that's something that a lot of people 
don't really know, or even students, I remember when I taught this, the idea that Texas for a while was its own independent country. Welcome to Anthology of Heroes, the podcast that explores the most pivotal moments of history through the eyes of those who lived it. In this podcast, we don't spend our time recounting facts and dates. Instead, we follow in the footsteps of national heroes, kings, or ordinary people who lived and breathed the moments that shaped our world. We're not hemmed in by eras, borders, or religions. Instead, we seek out the tales of those who defied the odds and fought passionately for their beliefs. Whether they're right or wrong is up to you to decide. From Vercingetorix's doomed rebellion against Rome, to Osceola's unshakable war against the USA, all the way up to the inspiring Sobibor concentration camp uprising in World War II, each episode is an immersive listening experience, blending music and sound effects to really draw you into the story. Our episodes go for about 45 minutes, making them perfect for your commute, and are crafted using a wealth of historical sources, which I list on our website if you want to learn more. I'm the host, Elliot Gates, and I'm thrilled to have you joining me as we uncover history's hidden gems and illuminate the faded pages of our past. Look out for the Anthology of Heroes podcast on Spotify, Apple Music, or anywhere else you get your podcasts from. And mm-hmm. It was once controlled by Mexico, and the Mexican-American War has little to do with actually that, you know? Um, yep. That's why it's called Six Flags, Great Adventure. It's the Six Flags. Over, the first one was in Texas. It's Six Flags over Texas. Is that some one point or the other, there were six different flags that represented uh, the different countries and areas that Texas was under control. That's a little trivial yeah. question right there. Do you know and, you know, and, te- and, you know, Texas, ultimately, you know, Texas, like you said, is part of Mexico. Mexico recently fought for its independence from Spain. And when that war ended, Mexico and overall, you know, former Spanish Mexico, but now independent nation of Mexico, is very poor. And they have a vast, you know, amount of land just sitting there. So they initially entice Americans to come to Mexico. You know, come on in. We'll give you land. All you have to do is, you know, become Catholic and, you know, renounce being American. Um, You're now, you know, you're now Mexican. And a lot of Westerners went to Mexico, except they never really followed those rules. And that's when you have Mexico in itself overthrows its leader, Santa Ana. Antonio Lopez de Santa Ana becomes the emperor, I guess, of Mexico. The Napoleon and, of the West. Exactly. And then you have a lot of these Texans that start to really challenge Mexican authority and start fighting against Mexicans. And that's when Antonio Lopez Santa Ana is like, you know what? Enough is enough. I'm going to squash this Texan rebellion. And these Texans are basically kind of like Davy Crockett's. They're they're the people that feel like the United States failed them. They're the people that couldn't make it in the United States, people that, you know. They, no, they wanted just more fortune than what they feel like they yep. could get. All the other land was kind of picked apart. So, like, I'm going to go to Texas. And that's also what Crockett, when he first goes there, he's going there to explore Texas, right? He leaves yep. on his youngest daughter, Matilda, says she leaves on November 1st, 1835. And that she actually has writings, they write about this, again, kind of appealing to the legend. She says last time she um, saw her father, he was dressed in his hunting suit, wearing a coonskin cap. Again, didn't necessarily probably was wearing that. Carried a fine rifle presented to him by his friends in Philadelphia. He seemed very confident the morning he went away that we would all join him soon in Texas. And that was the plan. He was going to go there, kind of establish a few things, and then his family was going to follow him there. Yep. And, um, you know, Tom, how does he find himself in the Alma? What, what's going on with the Alma? 
Well, the whole idea with the Alamo, and there's been movies, books, everything with the Alamo. Basically, that's where um, a lot of these Texas soldiers decided to go. And he goes there too. He doesn't expect there to be a battle there. No one expects the Alamo to become this last stand, the Alamo. Okay, that's not something that people are expecting. It's there. Um, it is a base, or to him, he uses a base. But it's really he goes there really to see what else is going on, and he's trying to regain some of that glory that he had. He's trying to get land. He's trying to see politically what's going. He ex- he expects Texas to become its own country, and he wants to be part of that in some way. Hopefully, gain some favor and become one of these almost like a founding father of Texas in a lot of ways. Yep. So at the Alamo, this is where it kind of gets uh, disputed, you know, it's disputed until really 1970s. Uh, oh, even sure now, even now, but yeah. Yeah. So apparently the initial story is that when Santa Ana's armies had surrounded the Alamo and ultimately got in there and burned it down, Santa Ana was so unhappy with the the way the Texans treated Mexico that he basically said there'll be, you know, no survivors. He just, everyone would be dead. And the initial story until 1970s was that Davy Crockett died fighting at the Alamo. And if you watch the movie uh, with John Wayne, John the initial Wayne, movie, yeah. that's kind of the narrative that you get. And the Disney movies, you it's kind of alluded to that, you know, he dies uh, a fighter. Well, the, the, 19- yeah, the, the narrative was that he died when they found his corpse. That's what the narrative always was. They found his corpse yeah. surrounded by 13 Mexican soldiers, and one of them had a knife in his in his chest. And that same knife, like a pocket knife, is actually on display at the Alamo. Supposedly, this is the last knife that David Crock got one last killing before he himself was gunned down. And just to back a little bit, he was there for a while. And as I was reading, he was – Actually, a reason why a lot of the people stayed there in the Alamo was because they knew Davy Crockett was there. And um, when they were shooting a lot of fire back and forth, he had his own men. He had his own little militia, Davy Crockett, like 60. And he could have got taken them out of there, but he does stay. Tra- uh, William Travis, again, we can talk about the Alamo another time, but convinces Crockett to stay. So his men stay. Um, but when they were all worried about conserving ammunition, they always let Crockett and his men continue the fire at the Mexicans whenever they got a chance because they were such a good shots. They weren't wasting the shots. Mm-hmm. Like if they shot at someone, they were going to hit them. And supposedly, I think they might've shown this. I I saw it a long time ago, but in the Alamo movie, there were the newer one, the 2004 version where um, the, again, how much is fake? How much is it? They say Crockett did take a shot at Santa Ana and actually shot, yeah, it is. Barely shot, did, shot his, um, shot his, shot his uh, hat off. Yeah. Uh, whether again that happens or it doesn't happen, I don't know if that happens in the movie. I think it does, but I know I uh, read about it also that they, he 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 did it. So yeah, um, there's also some accounts kind of going along with that. That you know, when he arrived there initially, there was cannon blast to welcome. Like he was a he was a hero, and a lot of people didn't realize that he arrived there after he was kind of kicked out, know, kicked out of Washington. Yeah, yeah. like he feels defeated. And when he goes to Texas, it's almost as if the news of that hasn't really reached Texas. Like he is still seen as the legendary Davy Crockett. And, you know, historians believe that really what he was doing going into Texas was kind of positioning himself for a resurrection of his political career. You know, there was this idea that there's a possibility of a Texas independence 
And he still knew that he was very popular, and especially the distance from Washington, he would make him a very strong candidate for any public office, right, in a new Texas government. So the idea was that before he could even run for any office, first of all, Texas needed to really secure its independence. Um, and he himself needed to, you know, um, swear allegiance to Texas. So this is an interesting thing because it was presented to him in the brief time he was in Texas, right before the Alamo. It's only that three months. Yep. Yep. So they present him with an oath that he had to sign um, that he would have to uphold. He his, the issue was he had to sign a document saying that he would have to uphold any future government once Texas has gained its independence. And he refused to sign it. And he urged them to add different words to it and change it to any future Republican government. Um, and the judge that was offering the oath, oh, his guy's name was John Forbes. He's like, all right, fine, I'll change the phrase. And then the Crockett signed it. And this is what historians point to now as, all right, he was there and he stayed at the Alamo because obviously he didn't think he was going to die. No, like this was, yeah, this was his way of securing his lore, I guess, his legend in Texas to set himself up uh, to be one of the you know, like founding fathers of the like new the nation. Of the Alamo, they figured maybe they'd be captured or Santa Ana would just move on. Yeah. But Santa Ana just for whatever reason wanted the Alamo. It didn't really have a lot of military purpose after, because it was a 13-day siege. At some point it was like, this. it's no point doing this anymore. But Santa yeah. Ana just became so incensed because he expected them just to surrender instantly. And they, they kept things going. What well, the big thing too, that kind of um, angered Santa Ana was when, the soldiers kept on getting closer and closer, the Mexican soldiers. They got within like 100 yards in these like huts where they were going to just continue cannon fire. But then the a lot of the animal defenders went out and burned the huts and shot the soldiers in those, brutally killed those soldiers in those huts. And that kind of incensed Santa Ana. He's like, you know what? I'm not leaving and we're going to kill all the all the survivors, all the men. M- women and children, they still had rules of war somewhat then. And uh, women and children were allowed out and slaves. Yeah. That's how you get that story about how he survived with all those Mexican corpses around him with the knife in yeah. was um, a um, former American slave named Ben, no last name. And he was one of Santa Ana's um, – he was a cook for one of Santa Ana's officers. He's the one that always maintained that. So that became kind of the narrative. Again, he could have been just told that. Who knows? But And, you know, but you're right. And then what's interesting is that, you know, the movie that comes out with John Wayne showcases that viewpoint because well, that's – That movie, movie, I was researching that movie. And it was called the most historically inaccurate movie inaccurate. ever. The historians that were hired, because John Wayne was all into this. The historians yeah. that were hired to actually do that, when the movie came out, said, take our names off of like the, <laughs> the list that said that. The credits, we yeah, the credits. the credits. Because we do not want to be associated with this movie because of how historically inaccurate it was. So I think oh. that was kind of uh, – Interesting. Oh, man. And they said it was really because of uh, John Wayne's politics. Like he, that was like his pet project that making that movie to Alamo. But um, if you watch the movie, and I do remember watching it with my dad or these parts of it because John Wayne was like, you know, uh, yeah. no, to my dad, John Wayne and uh, Bruce Lee. But um, right. basically it, it's a cold war movie too. If you watch it now, it's an interesting movie. You could yeah. probably watch it. It's a cold war narrative. Like the Mexicans are presented as even like Nazis or, um, Obviously, Soviets, Soviets yeah. but even like Hitler in that Germany, it's only 20 years since, you know, the World War II. Um, so it, it really shows that a lot. And he's talking about how we have to die for freedom and stuff like that. Those are not things Crockett's going to be saying. Yeah. But it was presented as, like, of, as fact. Back yeah. Then. And, you know, that's the thing. You know, it's this distinct image of Davy Crockett. You know, he's wearing his deer skins and 
coonskin hat and he stands for American principles of freedom and wild frontier, you know, like it definitely uh, kind of paints this, this, you know, adventure romance, this warrior who yeah. sacrifices his life for liberty. Yeah, it's a movie, so it is what it is, but yeah. it was being presented a bit more than that. Like um, John Wayne was actually going around um, partitioning schools to teach about the Alamo, like to oh, talk wow. about the Alamo and, and their, the school children to get them all hyped up and learn about the Alamo. The thing is they're not truly teaching them about the Alamo, you know? Yeah. Which actually, so let's talk about in 1975, um, a new evidence comes out in 1975 from, and again, this was actually a lot of people try to really hard, try to disprove this evidence and they couldn't. So what they find is they find a diary from one of Jose Enrique de la Pena. Yep. Uh, one is a Mexican soldier, officer, a Mexican officer, so a soldier from the war. And in this diary, he actually, which was written at the time, literally it's from the time of the Alma. Um, he writes how Davy Crockett doesn't die in battle, that he actually survives the battle. And he is. He's captured with captured. a few others, about six, seven yep. others. Yep. He's captured with about six or seven others. And while he's captured, he is then promptly executed and once he is executed they his body is burned along with the six um other men which eventually is so one carpenter like builds one coffin right and puts all the ashes and stuff they don't know where it is today though they supposedly buried it by a peach tree but no one knows the exact spot it was kind of just one of those things lost to history And and you're right peter people got really upset when they came out with this originally i think it came out in the 50s they couldn't prove it more until later on. Uh, they said, oh, it just came out because that movie came out with John Wayne and everything. Um, and they were eventually able to prove that, one, the handwriting in, the handwriting was Dave Pena's. Yep. Two, that it was in ink and on paper that the Mexican army was using at the time. So a lot, a lot of historians today do say maybe that was more of a fact. That probably is what happened. He definitely died at mm-hmm. the Alamo. It doesn't matter how he died. And I believe in the 2004 movie when Billy um, Billy Bob Thornton plays him, that's how he's shown. Yeah. That he survives a battle. He's beaten up, you know, injured, but he's captured with the others. And there's some accounts too that one of the Mexican generals um, no, recognizes Davy Crocker, or at least is aware of him in some idea, and wants wants Santa Ana to spare him. But again, yeah. Santa Ana is so incensed that he has them all killed. And I think in the movie, he's a little bit different. I was watching the clip. You see, you see Davy Crockett, and um, he, I'm, again, this is not probably what happened, but it, you see how they just like to twist it. All right, we're acknowledging that maybe he didn't die in battle, but they're still going to give you know Davy Crockett that little hero's death where he tells Santa Anna, right, if you're willing to surrender, yeah. we'll talk terms. So it's, he still gives him that one last Davy Crockett, yeah, you know that I'm going out, but I'm not going out a coward, basically. Which you know, being murdered after you're captured, I don't see how that's your coward how you're a coward anyway, but people got really upset. And when the, um, the author who found um, De La Pena's journals and started coming out, he started getting death threats from people. Oh, wow. Because how, how dare you tarnish the name of Davy Crockett? It wasn't even just from people from Tennessee or people from ever. It was also Davy Crockett's descendants came out. Because they're, they're a whole big thing we can talk about a little bit later on, these descendants of Crockett that have – they have these reunions and stuff like that all the time. And they were threatening him too with legal action and all these other things. Wow. So you don't mess with a folk hero, I guess. Yeah, no. Right. And again, this is a guy that was kind of 
losing his political career. I mean, it was over. You know, he he went there to resurrect it, and interestingly enough, he dies what with more or less his legacy secure and intact. You know, and it kind of propels him to the legendary status. That that makes him even more of a hero, or more of a yeah folk martyr, even legend. yeah. Then, yeah, martyr than he's ever going to be. And he does become a martyr. A lot, well, the entire Alamo becomes a martyr for the Texas Revolution. Yeah. With that whole, with the phrase, remember the Alamo. And that does is something that the Texas Revolution uses, Samuel Houston really uses to spearhead oh, the rest yeah. of American, the American, the Texas Revolution, which yeah. will lead to Texas becoming its own country and later a yeah. state. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, so let's talk a little bit about his legacy, you know, and fun facts or just legacy of of Davy Crockett and how, again, just hopefully, you know, we are able to convey the fact that he was a living, walking legend. When he, was he, was a, he was a celebrity. He was a yep. the biggest or well, one of the biggest celebrities at that time. And when yep. people find out that he was killed at the Alamo, again, that's just going to reestablish that legacy even more. But it, it, to be fair, it did diminish over the years and then really skyrockets again in the 1950s when Walt Disney makes those, um, that miniseries in a movie, which I believe is on, you mentioned before, it's on Disney plus now. I think it, it is. Yep. I was, uh, putting on Darkwing Duck. So, the other day, yeah. Yeah. I love Darkwing Duck. So, um, so anyway, just kind of get a go in, you know, in pop culture, obviously first is the play, the Lion of the West, which still comes out when he's alive. Um, you know, in 1831, he actually, attends a production of it in December of 1833, kind of further fueling the speculation that, all right, it's not really about me, but FYI, it's about me, you know? And he's trying to capitalize on this American fable of David Crockett. You know, he's becoming this, you know, this super known person. Um, then you have, he, I think he writes these almanacs, right? Doesn't he write these almanacs? He was, he got, almanacs. Well, he was writing those almanacs, yeah. Yeah, it's almanac between 1835 and 1856. He writes a bunch. Then he comes out with his own autobiography. Then you have 20th century. That's when you have a lot of comic books about him. And actually, there's a really early film adaptation um, called Simply David Crockett in 1916. And, you know, it's a silent film. But then, like you said, Walt Disney basically makes him into this pop culture icon and sensation that he is today. Well, they were saying at the height of that popularity, they were selling thousands of those raccoon skin hats every day yep. in yep. I'd be just like a to- the toy the christmas gift the birthday gift that every boy in the during that time span in the 50s wanted everyone yep. wanted more davy crockett how can they get more davy crockett memorabilia davy crockett knowledge you name it about you know, put david crockett's name on something it would oh sell. yeah they said yeah cap guns um you have lunch boxes they said that was the most popular lunch box in 19 between 1954 and 1955 was one with davy crockett you know in thermos and initially actually it was a mini series right and i think it was mini series and they, they took the first three episodes and they made it into the davy crockett king of the wild frontier yeah biggest blockbuster smash of 1955 again a disney you know kids movie you know what? What kind of what happens to Davy Crockett? Obviously, his popularity kind of goes down. What do you think? Well, in what way? Like if, after he dies, or in- yeah, like I feel like how many people know who Davy Crockett is today? Like if I was to ask my students, and you were to ask your students, I should have done that today, actually. You know, like hey guys, what do you think about Davy Crockett? Like what? What do you think their response would be? I I think a lot of the students 
we'll say they heard of the name. I think the name they're still somewhat aware of. I remember even when I was a kid, I knew Davy Crockett. I didn't know all the history about him, but yeah. I knew Davy Crockett. Again, it was, I think that show is probably still on once in a while. Um, the whole Davy Crockett. I had that song, that theme song always running through my my head. Because again, you know, our parents grew up in the 50s, so they were a little yeah. more Different. aware, a little more aware of it. But I, I believe that they definitely heard of the name Davy Crockett. Most of them, they probably don't know much more about it. I don't know how many even make the connection with the Alamo. Um, but I think it depends on the student, depends on the kid. I know a lot of the um, students that I have that were Eagle Scouts or Boy Scouts when they were younger, they all knew yeah. Davy Crockett. I think in that circle, he's a big deal. But again, he's one of those people that I'm sure as time goes on, he's always going to be part of Americana, but how many kids are going to really know about him? Because they're going to talk about, you know, there's the sport guys, there's the movie stars, there's the YouTubers and stuff like that. It was a generation. He was a generational hero. So certain generations might know him a little bit more just like now kids are going to know what's that guy marshmallow head or DJ marshmallow stuff like that. I I have no idea who he is, but they're going to know who he is. They're going to know that a lot more than Davy Crockett. Yeah. Yeah. So the people that were, you know, kids in 1955 that loved David Crockett when he was huge, it was the marvel of its time. Um, I mean, you know, we're talking about these these guys are up there in age. I mean, wait, that's that's not even our generation. No, no, no. So any fun facts before we... Uh... Oh, there's a ton, ton of stuff with him. Well, just some interesting... Yeah, I like one of his most famous quotes that he talks about in his book. Um, when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. Always be sure you are right, then go ahead. Yep, very famous quote. By so that was a famous quote for him. And um, the show that he's still popular in Americana in 2009, the Mythbusters. Remember that show, Mythbusters? Yeah, yeah. They tested apparently one of the sayings. He had a whole bunch of that. He like skipped the Mississippi River and like two jumps, obviously stuff like that. Like, he could ride lightning bolts. Obviously that stuff's not was true. Like the Chuck, she was like the Chuck Norris. She was the Chuck time. Norris jokes of that time, yeah. But they tested whether apparently there was a saying that Crockett could split a bullet in half on an ax in a tree from 40 yards away. Wow. And the Mythbusters tested that to see if it actually could happen, and they declared confirmed, yes, it could. Hmm. So, and it so maybe there's some truth. Tar- to yeah. So, if, the fact that it could happen, that people who they who are well trained like that do it, and the guys that were on the show were like, "Yeah, David Crockett definitely did this. If I can do it, Crockett definitely did it." So that was really, really like a big kind of show. He's still with pop culture, just like the escapades of Crockett. His accomplishments are still out there. Well, hopefully, for those those out there that are listening to this podcast, maybe you'll uh, go and read up and check out a little bit more about Davy Crockett. Maybe we could bring him back. You know, bring make uh, Davy Crockett cool again. Well, speaking of bringing him back, you know, we had the whole talking about the um, president. We had the whole podcast on the talking about presidential assassination attempts. Yeah, he was there. He, well, yeah, Crockett was at the one. He actually was one of the people when when Jackson was uh, attempted to be assassinated and started beating the guy. When the yeah. gun misfires with being a guy with the cane, Crockett was there. Crockett was actually, even though he didn't like Jackson, he was one of the people who tackled the uh, would-be assassin. He was one of Which the vice right Again, further adds to his, you know, lore, I guess. Yeah. And that was in the papers too. Crockett wrestles down. So yeah, Jackson beat the guy up. <laughs> and the guy had to get like medical attention. But Crockett was one of the guys who also held the guy on the ground and wrestled him to the ground afterwards. Yeah. So he, he's getting, he's in a lot of these parts of history during that time. He's, he's relevant. You know what? I mean, after all, you know, they did name Nimrod Wildfire after him. Oh, speaking – oh, yeah, I found another thing. Wait, speaking of naming well, things after him. There's a lot of, like, towns obviously named after him too. But in the 1960s, mm-hmm. the United States government created this our version of the smallest nuclear weapon system ever made, right, developed by the U.S. government. It was um, called the 
M28 Davy Crockett weapon weapon system, and it was designed to be fired from a like vehicle from a tripod, a nuclear weapon. And what they realized, though, very quickly, is that you just couldn't fire it far enough to get the people away in time. Okay, okay. That makes sense. They said the only thing stupider would have been a um, nuclear-powered hand grenade. What did they want to call it? No, it was called. It's actually a real thing. You can look it up. The M28 Davy Crockett weapon system. It was the smallest weapon system. It was basically designed to be like a tactical, in-battle nuclear weapon, almost like a mortar launcher that would fire small nuclear weapons. But the problem is they couldn't get the soldiers out of the fallout range and stuff like that. So they realized pretty early on. So it got kind of scrapped, but. Uh, you know, one, one fact that I kind of uh, am reading about was, especially when he became famous political figure, people used to just buy him firearms. Yeah. They were like, you know, his gift, political thank you gifts. So he would just always send him firearms. Name them all. Yeah. No, Betsy, you know, he had a the most significant. Old Betsy, Fancy Betsy. Yeah. Betsy. He named everything basically Betsy. Something. Yeah. Old Betsy was like, you know, 40 caliber flintlock. But why Betsy? I'm kind of curious. I got to look into that. Was just one um, of those. Fancy I Betsy was one of them. Yeah. <laughs> this guy was insane. Oh, man. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And, uh, you know, you will see you guys, I guess, next week. Yes. Enjoy. This is Nimrod Wildfire signing off. <laughs> Later, guys. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.